that, that describes anything that, that is yet to come before the return of Christ. And I'm so thankful that, that we can approach Him. You know, even the fact that, that we can sing songs of worship to Him, that we can gather here together as a group, that we can, we can praise Him, it's all a gift of His grace that God has, has really invited us to Him. What I want to do now is our men come to receive our offering. I want to just pray that, that we would have hearts that are ready to hear God's Word and that we would be sensitive to His prodding through His Word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank You for Your just grace in our life. Lord, we don't deserve You, but You have made us worthy by calling us Your children, Lord, adopting us as Yours. And one day You will return and bring us to be with You. Lord, in a moment, we're going to receive our offering. We, we offer this to You. In a moment, we're going to open up God's Word. We offer our hearts to You. In a moment, we're going to respond in our hearts. We offer that to You. Lord, You are our everything. You are our life. We thank You, Lord, for Your grace. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just read to you a passage of Scripture from Hebrews. You can turn your Bible there, or you can just listen. We will be there later on in the service, but there's a passage that's, that we're going to be talking through today, and I want to just read this as the offering plate is passed around. Listen, in chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh... And since we have a great priest over the house of God, now listen to verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. As uh, Pastor Billy already referenced, we've been talking previously about the church and, and what it means, what, what is meant by the church. Ecclesia is the Greek word, and, and I hope over the last two weeks and in the weeks that follow, you're going to see this unpackaged in great meaning for us. And we've talked about what it means that, that we are the body of Christ. And even looked at this passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus, speaking to Peter, said this, I tell you, on this rock, and the rock is the declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, on that rock, Jesus said, He will build His church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so, this morning on this Lord's Day, I know time zone doesn't exactly make what I'm getting ready to say true, but right now, all over the world, there are people gathering to worship God in churches. And it looks all different ways. The people look different. The environment looks different. But it is groups of believers assembling together to worship God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against this church that God has established. Now, share with you, I'm, I don't believe in the church because I'm a pastor. That's not the truth. I'm a pastor. I believe God has called me to this ministry because I believe in the church. And I have been the recipient of so much through the church. 
And God has given me the opportunity to give through the church, to give of my life and to give of the things that, that God has given me, and it's the greatest pleasure in my life. The greatest pleasure in my life is what God has allowed me to be part of in His church. Last week we talked about worship. I ended with this quote from, um, from Tozer. And what he says here is that without worship, we go about miserable. Miserable. And last week we talked about worship and what that means. And it certainly includes singing. That's a big part of worship. But worship is much more than that. Worship is our lives. It is us bringing everything that we have to all that God is and shouting out with our words and our actions, You are worthy. It is declaring the praises of God's excellencies. All that He is, all of our lives, declaring that He is awesome. We've talked about worship. we talked about what the church is. Today I want to kind of go to a different sort of understanding of the church. And we're going to find it there in the, in the book of Hebrews. You're already there in chapter 10. But before I get into that, I, I want to tell you a, a story. And this one did break my heart. I remember being part of a ministry and there was an individual that was in that church that I saw them connect to the body. I saw them investing their life in what God was doing there in that local body of believers. And on occasion, I got to be with this person. We would, you know, have coffee occasionally and that kind of thing. And I remember one morning, this individual said to me, Hey, um, Lowell, I just want you to know, you won't see us next Sunday at church. I'm like, oh, really, why? You know, are you working or, you know, you have to travel or what? He's like, no, no, we've decided to go to another church now. And I said, really? Well, why, why'd you decide to do that? He's like, well, you know, it's, there's a lot to the decision, but, you know, we, we just decided to start going to another church now. And then he starts talking about something else. I don't know, the football game or something like that. I don't know, the coffee or something. He starts talking about something else. And I pulled back the conversation. I said, wait just a minute, just a minute. You just decided you're just going to start going to another church? He's like, well, yeah. He said, I mean, don't take it personal. It's nothing about our Sunday school class, or it's nothing about our small group. It's nothing about that. It's nothing personal. He said, you know, we just kind of decided, like, we're going to start going to another church now. Now, I, this was, like, hard for me to hear, okay? Because I was growing in my understanding at that time to realize that the church was different than what he was describing. See, a lot of people view the church almost like a department store, like a store, okay? You know, and, and as this person talked to me, he was like, you know, we've just decided to start going to another church. He said, listen, don't take it personal. He said, you know, if I start shopping at Martin's rather than Food Lion, it's not like the manager takes it personal. And I was like, well, I said to him, but that's not how I'm viewing this. I'm not viewing this as we happen to shop at the same department store. We've been hearing that we're supposed to be like a family. We've been hearing that we're supposed to be together, assembled together, brothers and sisters. We're like a band of brothers and we're living for Christ. You know, it's like we're on the same team. We're in the same squad. We're together in this. He's like, whoa, man, you're, 
You're taking it way too personal. I stopped for a minute and I realized in some ways he was right. I was taking it personal. You see, some of us view church like a Walmart. You know, like, and that's sort of like the big churches, okay? You know, and in a big church, you know, they've got like everything that's available right there. You know, I mean, they got groceries down this aisle and they got car batteries down this aisle and you can get a Mother's Day card over here and grab a flower on your way out the door, right? And the department store has everything that you can imagine and it's right there. Now, the truth is, you never know week to week. You're not going to see the same customers. You're probably not going to go through the same clerk aisle, okay? That's probably not going to happen. You're not going to see the same people, but that's okay because... They have everything I can imagine. But some people, they view church more like a mom and pop store. Okay? You know these? I got looking at a map one time of Kaiser in the 40s. And I was looking at all these different streets. And one of the things that struck me is the number of little, like, grocery stores that were everywhere throughout the town. And I said something to my dad about it one time. I said, you know, why were all these grocery stores there? Like there's one in this person's house, and there's one in this person's, you know, building next to their house. And you're like, what was the deal with that? Now, this was soon after my mom passed. I was talking to my dad about this. And my dad said, well, you know, in that kind of old man voice that happens as you get older and you look back on life, he said, uh, you know, your mother and I, we always shopped at Sheps. Now, you don't know Sheps. Well, some of you don't know Sheps. Sheps was on Main Street in Kaiser, okay? North of the Main Street. Carla and I both grew up in Kaiser, okay? Sheps is a little grocery store there. And I would ride my bike into town, and I would go to Sheps very often because my grandmother worked at Sheps. And I'd go in there and buy a candy bar, and she'd give me a box of animal crackers, remember those things, okay? And that was a great memory. And my dad said, we always shopped at Shep's. I said, why? What, what was so important about that? And he said, well, your grandmother told this story. One night, she woke up in the middle of the night. She had asthma real bad and she couldn't breathe. And her husband, my grandfather, got her in the vehicle and drove to the hospital or doctor's office, I don't know, someplace, went to a doctor and is there at the door, and the doctor is, is going to treat them, okay? And he says, I need, and the number my dad remembered was just over $100. And in my grandfather's mind, that was just unfathomable. He didn't have $100. Well, what's he going to do? It's late at night. Is he going to call the bank? Is he going to take out a loan? What's he going to do? Do you know what he did? He called Mr. Shep. He said, Mr. Shep, middle of the night now. Two o'clock in the morning, probably. Hello? Mr. Shep is on the phone. Hey, Mr. Shep, I need to borrow $119. And my dad says, Mr. Shep said, come on over. It's right here. See, other of us, we look at the big department churches and we think, oh, yeah, you know, what are they about? They got all this stuff. But they don't know each other like you do in the small church where there, you, the guy, greets you at the door when you come in and ask you about your daughter and how's your dog doing and how's that elbow? Is it getting better? You know, there's all kind of different views we have of the church. And the question is, which one's the right one? Which one's the better one? Which one should we have, right? Mm. 
It's not that simple, folks. It's not that simple. Listen, God has something in store for us. And it is much more than a store. This is not a small store, big store, medium store. That's not what this is. If you're coming here, or if I'm coming here, if we are coming here because we're ready to get a product, we don't understand what the church is. This is not about us coming to receive. This is not about us coming here and somebody coming up front the way we do it and singing a song and preaching a sermon, and I like the product. The product is pretty good. So you know what? Here's 20 bucks for the product. That is not the church. And sadly, many of us in America, that's how we look at it. That's how we look at it. Maybe you're a big church person, so you want all the products, and it's okay. Maybe you don't know somebody, but that's all right. Maybe you're a little church person. You know, you don't need all the choices, but you want to make sure that the clerk at the counter knows your name. And you've decided one of those is right and one of those is wrong. I've got news for you. They're both wrong. This is not about us getting. That's not what this is. It's not what this is. We're going to see what it is through the Word of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to understand today from this passage the concept that the Bible calls koinonia. I'll put that up on the screen so you can see it. And the trouble with this word is we don't know what it means. I'll read in in Hebrews chapter 10 the verses that follow where I left off, and we will see koinonia described here, okay? I'm going to jump in here at verse number 23 again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised us is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now the word here that is not used directly in this passage, but is used throughout our Bible, is koinonia. Okay, is that up on the screen? Yes, it is. Good. And we translate this a lot of different ways. It can be translated fellowship. It can be translated community. It can be, it can be translated partnership. Here's what it is. Here's a definition. This is my definition, and I hope it works for you. It's this. It is a God-glorifying relationship of love. It is people experiencing a God-glorifying relationship together. And the amazing thing about Scripture, I don't have time to go through all of this, is we have koinonia with God. We experience koinonia with the God of the universe. That is the wonder of the gospel. That we have koinonia with the Creator. When you came to know Christ, you are in fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. All three are listed in Scripture. And likewise, we as believers, we are commanded now, we are commanded to have koinonia with other believers. We receive koinonia by grace, we receive koinonia with God. And by grace, we are commanded to have koinonia with others. Let me put a couple of verses up on the screen here. Okay? Here's one from Acts. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the early church, the early believers, and the koinonia. 
fellowship. And the passage starts to describe it. To the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Next passage, just to put it just quickly up on the screen. If we say we have koinonia with him being Jesus, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia with one another. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. George Gallup, you guys know that name, said this. From his study, from his polls of Americans and American churches, he has concluded that Americans and the American believers are among the lowliest people in the world. I might not have said that clearly. I said loneliest. Loneliest. Americans... And American believers, Gallup, in his survey said, we are some of the loneliest people in the world. Why is that? I want to read to you also from that same study. Listen to what he said. We are physically detached from each other. We change places of residence frequently. Seven in ten do not know their neighbors. As many as one-third of Americans admit the frequent periods of loneliness, which is a key factor in the high suicide rate among the elderly. Folks, we are called the koinonia, but it's not being experienced. And I am burdened for the church, for our church, because I have experienced my own self such a blessing benefit from many people in this room, many people who are in other rooms sitting right now, believers in Christ that have invested in me and have allowed me to invest in them. There has been a mutual investment, a mutual trust, a mutual coming together. And if you break that apart, if you strip that thing apart, it hurts. It is not going to Martin's. It is not choosing to go to Food Lion. That is a mockery of what Christ calls us to. And it's time for us to be corrected. Now I just want to say this, just as parentheses. There is a time to leave a church. I understand that. There is a time. That's not what the topic is today. Okay? And you may say, well, I I left the church. Are you saying I'm evil? No, there is a time to leave a church. But I want you all to understand that it is a weighty decision that one makes. Do not mistake. I left the church to come here. Oh, yeah. You mean, Lowell, you're a person too? Yes. Yes. I left the church that I loved. People that I love. People that I still love. So there is a time but you need to know it was no quick decision. I didn't just wake up somewhere and say, I think I'll shop there now. No, it's a weighty decision. Okay, you're in Hebrews. Let's, let's uh, pick up the pace a little bit. Um, so you see in verses 19 through 22, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, that we have intimacy with 
God. When I look at verses 19 through 22, that's what strikes me here. Verse 22, let us draw near, okay? There are all these expressions where now we are in fellowship with God. We now have intimacy with God, only because of Christ, only because of what He did. But the thing that strikes me about this is that very next, where we're going next in verse number 24, is that this intimacy with God, this community, this koinonia that we have with God was never meant, it was never meant just for me. This passage is explaining, I have koinonia with God now. In Christ, I have fellowship with God. But it is never meant to be selfish. You show me a believer who's not connected with a local body, that's not investing in a local body. Show me a believer that's not investing in being invested in, and I will show you a believer that is not walking in obedience. God is very clear. He calls us to invest our lives in the lives of the people in our church. He wants this, and we need it. Now let me show you what we need from it. Verse 23, it says this. Let us hold fast. I want to show you community with others. Let us hold fast. This is to hold firmly. This is to hold tightly. This is a strong, muscle-bulging forearm holding fast. Hold fast to what? To the confession of our hope without wavering. Now what is the confession of my hope? Well, when I saw that, I immediately went in my mind to Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that we must decide to hold fast to that truth. That Jesus is Lord and Savior. I will hold fast. I dare you to come and open up my hand. You're not going to do it. Well, maybe some of the strong ones in the room might. But most of you won't, okay? Because I'm going to hold fast to that confession. Alright. Now moving along. Verse 24. And let us consider... Now this word consider means... It, it has in it the idea of looking closely. Okay? It is to contemplate. It is like... A, it's a very deliberate word. It's like you're peeling back layers to get a better view. Okay? So let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good deeds. You see what's happening here? We're called to hold firmly. I'm called to hold firmly. And so are you. But I'm going to use me as the example. I'm called to hold firmly. But you are called to closely look for a way to stir me on. Stir me on to what? To hold firmly. We need one another. Is what the passage is driving us to. It is so strong here what has happened. This word stir up, it means to provoke. It means to anger. Okay? We are to stir up one another. So what this means to us is this. I'm supposed to get into somebody's life at such a level that I'm going to make them mad. This word is used in the book of Acts twice. Once, when Paul came into the city of Athens, and it was filled with idols, and his spirit 
was this word provoked. And the second time this word is used in Acts is when Paul and Barnabas get into a great big argument and they split ways. They were provoked. That's what we're called to do. Are you serious? I thought we were just called to say, Hi, how you doing? Hope you have a good morning. My mom was really nice. Mine too. See you. No. No. This is a very strong call to what we're supposed to do. So what, what this looks like is I'm supposed to be alongside you and you along me, okay? And I'm looking closely I'm watching you hold fast and I'm looking for a way closely now to stir, to provoke. I think the NIV says spur, right? Spur on. We need this, folks. We need this. Now this is all through your New Testament. I, I, I won't take the time to say all that I was going to say at this point. Um, here's 58 one another's in the New Testament. 58 different times we are called to do one another, do something with one another. Let me just give you a sampling. We are called to love, serve, live in harmony, bear with one another, honor, accept, instruct, greet, be compassionate with, forgive, submit, admonish, encourage, and pray for one another. And like 40 more. This involves us with one another. With one another. Now I brought something this morning that might illustrate what we're trying to say. You know, in, in Scripture here, it's a coffee cup, okay? And notice it's a McDonald's coffee cup. Yeah. We're called here to stir. And I got thinking about this, and I thought, you know, what a picture this is. What a picture. Both the, the cup and the stir, they have a, they have a role. And... and this stirrer is commanded by God. I'm using a metaphor here, okay? Just follow along with me. It is commanded by God to stir up this believer. To stir them what? To stir them to love and good works. Look at the passage. Don't just trust me. It says that. To stir them to love and good works. Well, who am I supposed to love? You are called to love your husband. You are called to love your wife. You are called to love your children. You are called to love your neighbor. You are called to love your enemy. You are called to love one another. You are called to love the Lord. You are called to love Jesus. We are called to love everybody. Stir one another on towards love and good deeds, good works. We're never saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We are God's workmanship. And the fact is, I'm lazy. And if you don't stir me, if you don't spur me, I will be a lazy, good-for-nothing, lay down on the ground, do nothing. And you're the same boat as me. So we need stirred. But this requires, this requires so much faith, so much hope, so much love. I talk to you about that? Here's what's supposed to happen, you guys. We're supposed to be the kind of relationship, we're supposed to have koinonia, so that I come into your life and you come into my life and I now see this thing that honestly I'm concerned for you because I love, there's the first one, you. Now I have hope, love, hope, 
faith. Uh, They're all in this passage. I have hope that Christ can work in your life. So now by faith, I'm going to open up my mouth and I'm going to speak to you. And I'm going to say something that I know very well may provoke you to anger. You may not like it. But I've got faith that God can work. And I have enough hope that He can bring about the right thing in your life. And I love you anyway. So by golly, I'm going to stir. Okay? I'm going to stir. Now, what about you? What about you? What about the cup? Okay? So now you're just sitting there minding your own business, right? I mean, you're just doing what you're doing. You're just living life. And all of a sudden, this guy walks your life and he sticks a stir and you starts moving around. Okay, you need to have love, hope, faith as well. Love. I know that I am loved by God and I'm loved by you. And I know that God wants the best for me. That's love. And so I'm going to hope for the best. Even when you speak into my life, and I might actually get a little bit angry, I'm going to hope that God can work. And I'm going to hear it with faith. Go ahead. Stir away. And now the two come together. And God is pleased because His children are doing what He's called to. Now, here's the truth. Here's the truth. And this is why this is not Martin's Food Lion, Walmart, or the guy down at the corner store. We are bound together by Christ. The only thing that brings us together is Jesus. We don't share the same job. We don't like the same teams. We don't have the same hobbies. We didn't grow up in the same town. We didn't go to the same college. We don't play the same sports. None of that is true of most of us. If you are waiting for the right people to come to your church that you like and you have same interests and two of you can skip around the golf course or whatever, it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. The thing that binds us together is only Christ. And that's the beauty of this thing. That's why this thing is here and everybody else around looks in and says, man, I don't get that. I don't get that. That's a Raven fan and a Steeler fan and they're spurring one another on to love and good deeds. That's impossible. Right? The only thing that binds us together is Christ. And look where the passage goes, and I'm completely out of time. But notice where it goes. Verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. We were just being told to stir one another on to love and good deeds. And now the writer says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. See where the writer goes? After telling us to be stirred and to stir, to be a stirrer and a stir-e, he now says, watch out for sin. Watch out for sin. You know what that tells me? You know what that shows me? I am prone to it. I need you. And I've been kicking around the Bible for a long time. Okay? I've been kicking around the Bible for a long time. Probably longer than a lot of people in the room. Not all of you. But for a long time. And I'm telling you, 
If I didn't have people in my life that are there to stir, I would run away into something else. I know it. I know it. If it's true of me, isn't it true of you? And then go on, go on. Jump down now. So it just, just keeps on going here to verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So in other words, you experienced persecution. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Whoa! So he's saying, the government authorities came, kicked down the door, and said, we're taking your TV, and they, they drug it away. Now, how does that connect to stern and being stirred? Here's the truth. The more we are living in a culture that is opposing God and His will and His way, the more the culture is going against God, the more I need stirred, the more we need each other. We're in a world that hates God and is starting to show it. So we need to come here together where people love God and remind us of why it is that we follow God. The sin and the culture around demonstrate the need that we have to stir and be stirred. There was another guy that was in a pretty tough time. I'm Just skip forward. I'm way out of sync here, Josh. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a believer in Germany in the early 1940s. Think of what that means. You talk about a culture that opposes Christ. You talk about a world that's filled with sin. You talk about a world that's displaying a hatred for God. It was there. Look what he said. A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members. By the intercession, by the prayer, by the advocate for one another, by the spurring on of one another. It lives by the intercession of its members for one another. Or it collapses. Or it collapses. I want to see our church be a great, great billboard for the glory of Christ. But the quickest, easiest way for our enemy to take us down is to eliminate the effect that we have on one another. And to rip away the truth of Hebrews 10. You need you. And you need you. We need one another. And God is glorified when we have enough love, hope, and faith to respond. So I'm inviting you. I'm urging you. I am admonishing and exhorting one another's to go and stir and be stirred in love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your church. God, we are a group of people you brought together for a reason. Ultimately, Lord, to glorify you and to conform us to your image. 
God, give us courage. Courage to go. Courage to receive. Courage to not give up, giving up, that is, meeting together. Lord, give us that kind of courage. And glorify Yourself through our body, Lord, through Your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.